Good afternoon, Marshall. Good afternoon, Stan. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Cheers. Oh, you got your coffee. I'm jealous. Oh my god, I didn't get a beverage. Oh. <laughs> All I have is this... Look at how much I got left. Oh, you There's poor no... guy. Maybe we should postpone the podcast. Maybe we should just do it next week. I'll be right back. Okay. Well, that means you and me, we are here. You can see that Stan's chair is so empty. It sits there without Stan. There I am. Cheers, Stan. Cheers. I got my water. Good. <laughs> now we're doing okay, and we're here again, and we're ready to do the Draftsman Podcast. Podcast. What's the topic today, Stan? Uh, the topic is reinventing yourself. Not everyone who listens to the Draftsman Podcast is between the ages of 14 to 24. A number of the people in our audience are older and have come up against the fact that you made a living doing one thing or you mastered a particular skill and then the opportunity to make your living or even use that skill is taken away from you and you have no say in it and you have to reinvent your role and and career, your money source. And I've had that happen to me more than once, and I'm having it happen right now, as a matter of fact. And I know that it can be very tough, and I have people around me that I've seen have to reinvent themselves and not reinvent themselves. That's a warning story. Are you going through a midlife crisis, Marshall? No, no, I went through my midlife crisis. How long ago? Oh, it's, it was a 20-year midlife crisis. But we aren't here to talk about my midlife crisis <laughs> as a midlife crisis. We're here to keep this focused on making a living in the arts. Sorry. Uh, I couldn't help myself. Continue. Sorry. Back to the introduction part. <laughs> Those people who have, are in the position of having to reinvent themselves may get a lot out of this. But I'll tell you, even if you're 18, you're going to have to reinvent yourself. Whatever you're doing that's working well now, count on it. There will come a point where people will say, that is so 2020s. Uh, it's, it's, going <laughs> yeah. to be, uh, it's going to change, and therefore, oh, this would be something worthwhile to deal with, even if you're, you're not at the point where you are dealing with it now. Awkward. Oh, are you done with your introduction? Yeah, I'm done with my introduction. Awkward <laughs> okay, well, then let's move on to your midlife crisis. Okay, let's talk about no. My, let's talk about my career crisis. Your what? My career crises. Maybe I should oh. give the short version. Let me see if I can do a one minute version, and then okay. we can unpack it later if we want to. The greatest reinvention that, that happens is the reinvention from student to professional because you are used to it being one way and now bigger stakes and having to get people to part with their money. That is a rough one. It was a rough one for me. It was one of the roughest times actually. Uh, the second one was that I went from being a technical illustrator to doing some humorous work. 
I mean, I did jobs for Mad Magazine and I did some other things that were uh, work that was quite different from doing work for advertising agencies. And that didn't really pan out. I never, I never made my living as a humorous illustrator. Uh, but I did segue from being an illustrator to being a teacher, which was a long segue and certainly was a kind of reinvention for branding and that kind of thing. And then from being a teacher in classrooms to being a teacher online. Those have been reinventions in my life, and each one of them is a story. You said that you weren't a humorous illustrator? I never made my living at it. I got jobs, but that's different from pulling in enough uh, to pay all of the bills, right? You get some, uh, okay. some gigs. I was going to say, you drew a humorous in my anatomy class. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you got paid for it. <laughs> Do you remember that lesson? You, you did draw humorous. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, golly. You got me on that one. We'll put the link in the description if you guys want to see Marshall's short career as a humorous illustrator. I'm finding this uh, less funny as we dig into it. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep breaking your train of thought. No, actually, I was done with my train of thought. Oh. All right. Now you tell me what you know. This is a weird topic. I feel like we're always reinventing ourselves. I don't I, like. You bring up the, the transition from, uh, from student to professional, but that transition, it's like, it doesn't really end. There's like a big gradation. And then while you're doing that, you're also, trans you're also inventing, reinventing yourself in other ways. You're, you're always changing. We're never the same person. And so, reinventing in what way? What constitutes a, a big enough change? How do we categorize these reinventions and how, can we even? I'm, I'm kind of confused by the topic, to be honest. Well, I'm not <laughs> because I've seen dramatic enough instances of it to say that is definitely reinvention. And right now, what's going on in this world uh, with the change of how people make a living when they've been out of work for months and there's no money coming in or there's supposed to be money coming in but the government isn't sending it to me and how am I going to make a living? This is a major time of reinvention. So, it may be at such a hot point for some people that it's like, don't give me swimming lessons when I'm drowning. Uh, it's it's just, uh, this is a really difficult time for people reinventing themselves. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about financial issues though, I mean, go back to 2007. It's the same thing. People were going through, it's a big cycle where we're always going through bad financial times. Mm -hmm. Well, not always. I mean, we're, also, we're always going through cycles of them. We, we're, we're up, then we're down, up and down. I mean, yeah, some, some people are going through it for the first time right now. Mm -hmm. The people that weren't professionals in 2007. What have been the biggest crises in your life where you felt like you had to reinvent or have you had them? Is that the definition here? Is that what we're focus on it, focusing on? Is a crisis that forces you to change or is it that it's anything that you intentionally change about yourself? Okay, I, I got you. I, I understand what you're doing. We're going, we want to lay out the land of the definition. I want to define what we're talking about so we talk about the same thing. I also don't know what we're talking about, so I'm trying to figure it out. One is crisis. Crisis is where it's most obvious. I have to reinvent myself or I won't make a living. Another is where what Knight talked about in just the one that we just did. 
Mm-hmm. Night is in one position and wants to be in another in time, and she is already in advance anticipating that I will reinvent myself, and I don't even know how, but she's got a long view of it in mind. That's not crisis. Yeah, it's not a crisis. It's just a, a desire for something different. Yeah. And then another would be what we talked about last season with having two personas one that I do the stuff for the grown-ups, one that I do the stuff for the kids, and separating those two, that is a kind of reinvention, reinventing or inventing an alter ego. Uh, so it's really partly public perception, branding, and partly uh, internal motivation, desire, and what we do each day. And it's hard not to say that living in in this time that it has a lot to do with equipment and media, uh, the medium that we use. Okay, Stan, I'll let you keep thinking about reinventions in your life, but let me tell you, let me tell you the major one, one of the most difficult ones. It happened in the 90s. It happened going from purely traditional media as an illustrator and making my living during it to phasing that out and going into digital. And every illustrator and every graphic designer, every art director, every company, every person making their living in the arts, it seemed, with some exceptions. Some people would uh, sell watercolors at a at swap meets and, and that kind of thing. But everybody else had to go through this, this transition. And I had one colleague who I went to college with who refused to go digital. He didn't like digital. He didn't want to go digital. He didn't. He kicked against it and he lost his career. It took two or three years for him to lose his career, but we all watched it happen and we thought he isn't reinventing himself. The others of us were going through tons of adjustment and pain and trying to learn these programs and investing in equipment and finding out how it's different. And we actually got quite excited about it which might be one of the secrets of reinventing yourself is saying, I get to do a new thing. But the it was enthusiasm for the new medium, as well as the need to have clients keep hiring us, that I, I think made the reinvention easier. Whereas my colleague who, who lost his profession, he, he just resisted and resisted and resisted. Okay. I think I see it now. So, there's many different reasons for a reinvention, but you can categorize ones that are big enough in your life as a reinvention. One example is technology. You always have to keep up with it. You always have to change the way you do things so that you're not falling behind. Yeah. You're, so, you're, that, that's one. Another is a crisis. Something bad's happening and you got to change in order to survive. Right. Um, uh, another one is just you notice a weakness in yourself and you just want to grow personally as a just personal growth. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad has happened. Technolo- it's not technology that changed it. You just want to grow as an individual. And so, mm-hmm. you reinvent yourself. Um, okay. So, we've defined it. Okay. Now, where do we go from here? What's, what do we do? Should I just give an example or? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having... Um, what do you call that? Imposter syndrome? 
Imposter syndrome. <laughs> because you haven't reinvented yourself? Oh, I've been, I'm constantly, that's what I'm saying. I'm always changing myself. I've been addicted, addicted to uh, self-improvement books since I was a teenager. You... I'm constantly trying to change. I feel like if I'm not changing, it's, I'm bored. <laughs> Even if you had nothing to say for the rest of this podcast, that, uh -huh. that to me would be a key to it. Yes, you have an attitude and a spirit of what's next. Hey, yeah. what is the definition of creativity? Well, there'll be a lot of definitions, but one of them is to solve a problem in a way nobody else has solved, or we could say not to just to invent, but to in some cases reinvent with a new and better approach to it. So yeah, you you are embodying and you have, to me, embodied the spirit of uh, being on the cutting edge, what's happening next. You've been ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve with me. In fact, I've followed behind you uh, on this curve. <laughs> Which, what are you talking about? I mean, that I, I did teach online 10 years ago and I was, oh, I I was okay, trying yeah. to produce uh, digital content but when I saw what you were doing, I thought, okay, well, if I can be in the wake of what Stan is doing, at least the wake will be a really good, good thing for me. And, and, and it has been. And you are a person who does not even think of it as reinventing. You're just charging forward with what you're doing. So, so yeah. Yeah. I don't think when, when we brought up this topic, I was having a hard time figuring out like, when did I reinvent myself? And it's just because it's, I'm always doing it. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not any one thing. I mean, I, I again, like I can probably think of some category. I could point to some things and be like, yeah, that was a transition. Like having kids, obviously. I had to reinvent myself from being focused on myself to being focused on now a baby. Yeah. That's a big change, big change. in your, the way you think, the way you look at other human beings. Yeah. Um, it depends on who you were before being a parent. But to me, it was a big change. I was always focused on me, me, me. What do I do? How do I improve myself? How do I grow as a person? How do I make more money? How do I become a better te uh, teacher, better artist, whatever? It's, all, it's me. <laughs> uh, do you know what thin slicing is? Did you read Malcolm Gladwell's Blink? I read the book, but I don't remember that word. Can you remind me? Thin slicing is that you do not need to do deep analysis for some things. You only need the thinnest slice, just the thinnest strand of DNA, and you can tell a lot about a thing. And huh. it's when you have a sense impression about a person or a sense impression about a situation, that can sometimes yield the most insight because of the way fractals work. You've got a shape of a universe and you've got a shape of a molecule and they have things in common. Now, the reason I bring it up is because when it comes to a person who will reinvent, you can almost that fast tell that this person's energy is one who when reinvention happens, they're going to be ready for it. And another person's energy is that they're going to dread it. And uh, I sense mm -hmm. that you are in that first category is that, come on, bring it on. I'm ready. Let's have fun with this. And another person is going to have many more barriers and self-protection mechanisms up. So that becomes part of the success of reinventing is do you run away from it? If you run away from it, it's going to get you eventually. Or do you take it on and bring energy to it? The letter you got from is it Milan? Yes. Read what Milan 
said. Hi, Stan. <laughs> he doesn't mention you, Marshall. Well, it's okay. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm such a dick. <laughs> I'll reinvent myself eventually. I'm sorry. It might be punishment for having mispronounced his name if I did, but we'll see. Hi, Stan. My name is Milan Franklin. I was just watching the latest Draftsman podcast and I was intrigued by Crystal's, I hope I heard her name correctly, question regarding injured artists. I know this is a bit after the fact, but I believe I may be able to help. He, he sure can. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, back in 2011, while deployed in Afghanistan, I was injured after stepping on an IED while on patrol. This resulted in the loss of both legs as well as two fingers on my dominant hand. I had to develop a completely new grip and initially struggled to hold a fork or spoon, let alone a pencil. Additionally, my middle finger was reconstructed and to this day can only articulate my knuckle due to severe scarring and damage around my phalanges. When I first started to draw again, I had issues similar to what Crystal described. I could hardly hang on to the pencil and my middle finger would seize up every five minutes or so and I would have to physically grab my finger and bend it back to, into extension, which hurt like hell. I thought the way you both handled the question was excellent. But <laughs> I thought it might help Crystal and hopefully others with similar limitations to hear from someone who copes with similar challenges on a daily basis. Th the fact that he says similar challenges is... Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. It, it shows his personality. Yeah. It's a thin slice of Milan. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's a great <laughs> example. Um, Every challenge is different and every person is going to have to deal with their own limitations and struggles. But you'd be amazed at what the human body is capable of overcoming, adapting to. I don't personally deal with carpal tunnel like she mentioned, but when it comes to scarring due to physical trauma or surgery, it's actually beneficial to use the affected area or even massage the tissue within reason. Doing so can help to break up the scar tissue, relieve pain, and potentially increase mobility or strength. Obviously, listen to your doctors, and if I can say anything, to not overdo it. I can tell you firsthand that pushing too hard will only exacerbate the problem. Listen to your body and choose your battles carefully. Pursuing a career as an artist is hard enough as it is, let alone doing it with a disability, injury, or other limitations. Don't put yourself at a further disadvantage by losing the mental game. Maintain a healthy, balanced diet. Cannot stress that enough. Stay positive and keep your head up and your eyes on the horizon. Do this and you will overcome anything. He says, Crystal, good luck. I wish you the best and truly hope this helps. Alon. He attached wow. some images. I'm pretty sure he's okay with us sharing them. If you're watching this, if you're sensitive to... People losing limbs, close your eyes. Yeah. Okay, you can open them again. Um, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it, it's it's an inspiring story. It's great to, to... Personally, when I read that, I was... I was like, wow. It's great to know that even if that happens, it's possible to be so positive about things. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, cool. Like, it, it made me not afraid of things happening to me a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, I could lose my legs and I'll still be happy like Milan. Yeah. Um, 
or I could still be happy like Milan. Maybe not. It takes a lot of strength. Milan does not have imposter syndrome. No. This is uh, where someone who comes from that extreme, a loss, and then makes the comparison to another person who has a lot of pain and rather than minimizing it says, yeah, I know what it's like, and then connects and offers that kind of encouragement is admirable and uh, good mm -hmm. comes out of, of what you've done. Yeah, that, that's, that was a powerful letter. Yeah, it's an example of a crisis that forces someone to change. And the attitude behind it. Don't lose the mental game. If you're losing the physical game, don't lose the mental game. That was a, I mean, that was, that's very important. This reminds me a little bit of when we were talking about the war of art. The, the, the most extreme situations in life uh, can be military situations where it's, it's life or death and it's not something you can plan. It's something that happens now. And if you can learn lessons from people who are in those extremes, this, this uh, class that I just finished uh, for Concept Design Academy was called Creativity Lessons from Great Filmmakers. Even if you're not going to be a, a filmmaker, one of the reasons why you would study lessons from great filmmakers is because their challenges and their complexity and the amount of money that goes into a production, there's so much at stake that if people under that kind of pressure can be creative, there should be something in the lessons from them, from those of us who are merely painting a picture or doing something that's fewer challenges. And Milan is taking an extreme situation of life that he's lived through, that he's learning from, and he's offering it to the rest of us. And the main thing I got out of it was not the thing about massage or diet, even though he said he couldn't stress that enough. The subtext of it all was his attitude, the mental game. Yeah, that was the big thing for me. Yeah, he. I think he he was offering yeah advice on dealing with physical pain, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so where do we go? I mean, do you have any advice on for people that are in the process of reinventing themselves, whether it's from a crisis or because of technological change? I mean, other than you know, stay positive and and that, but. Like, what, what do you do when you know, okay, I have to reinvent myself? Are there any things that you begin doing? Does it start with like research? Does it start in meditation and trying to figure out what you really want and, and finding purpose? Like, what, what do you do when you're changing yourself? You know, I, I can't say that I sat down and thought about it, but when you're asking me, something is coming to me and it does not have to do with research. And it does not have to do with uh, really so much planning. It's something that happened a little over three years ago is that I had to move out of a house that I'd been in for 21 years. And it was a long, it was about a two to three month move, expensive, really difficult move. But what happened is that I Oh, poor baby, you're going from from Laguna Beach to, to Southern California. I know. Yeah, from one sunny San <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, so difficult. I went from living 20 miles from the beach to 23 miles from the beach. <laughs> I got a hangnail and you cannot imagine the pain of that hangnail. <laughs> Those boxes were heavy. Should I go on? Yes, please. Okay. I'm sorry again. Uh, thank you, though. You're helping me put it in context. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here is the thing about that move because I had rooms that were filled with boxes that couldn't the, the rooms couldn't even be used. But here is the thing that happened. I recognized you don't have any choice in this. You have to do this now. Get to it. And there was an urgency that every day there is going to be stuff to do. It's going to be physical as well as sitting down and planning things out on paper. I think that the thing that made the biggest difference is that I had a task that was bigger than I wanted to face, but I had no choice to face it. So the adrenaline rush or the energy or the sense of crisis is the thing that kicked me into it. And and I that's not advice. That's just the thing that I noticed made the biggest difference. And it was also one of the most pivotal things to pull me out of uh, midlife crisis. That kind of ended it, is that you're going to have a two or three month project that you don't want to do and you have to do it. So go. All right. Not comfortable, not something I want to do, uh, but have to do it. That's that's the, the, the only insight that I have to offer right now. I've got a couple other thoughts, but... Was there at any point that you became excited about the move? That it offered you like new a new start to stuff or no, it was just like, no, it was bad in every way. <laughs> not while it was happening. Okay. And I think I told you that I refused because I fell in love with a house that I was in and a neighborhood I was in for 21 years and then recognized I don't have any choice. I have to leave this. Uh, I decided that I would not fall in love with where I live right now because it could happen again. Oh, no. Oh, come on, Marshall. That's like a 20-year-old uh, that got his heart broken. I know. And now he's like, I will never fall in love again. That's exactly what it was like. <laughs> Marshall, you got your whole life ahead of you. Fall in love with your house. <laughs> well, it happened when I started eating fruit off of those trees in the backyard. Oh, you fell in love. That's what happened. I didn't know that that was going to happen. I refused to fall in love, but then you start to eat this fruit. Yeah. And, and look at that tree and think, now I'm starting to see why people connect to the land, but that has nothing to do with this. Uh, <laughs> there was not a single time in that two to three months that I felt positive about it. I don't think there was a, a, a 10 second point where I felt positive about it. I felt- uh, Do you think that if you had read Milan's email during that time, you would have had an easier time going through that? Uh, I don't know that because sometimes when a person is in any kind of emotional crisis, uh, anything you read, anything anybody tells you doesn't make the difference. But the thing that made the difference was to actually go yeah. through it, to actually recognize the situation I got my, myself in, the amount of stuff I owned, the way too many thousands of books that I owned. Yeah, I acquired like 30 of yours. Yeah, well, yeah. And I got rid of about th 1,500 of them. And, oh my God. and still have a great number of them. So now these are these are these are these are silly problems when you pull the camera back. You know, one of my polo ponies wasn't feeding well, and my I lost one million dollars out of my six billion. My God. swimming pool is like five or six inches lower than it should be because of this damn water shortage. I know. I lost fifteen hundred books, oh, Marshall. You had fifteen hundred books. 
Stan, <laughs> sometimes a hangnail really does hurt. You need to adopt some of Milan's attitude. Hangnails hurt more than broken bones sometimes. And I've had both. Yeah. Hey, everybody, everybody who's watching this, who you are struggling with uh, paying your bills, I apologize. I apologize for, for my <laughs> insensitivity. No, I'm just making fun of you, Marshall. Your, your story was useful. Rightly so. <laughs> I'm just having a good time because I have nothing to offer in this episode oh, other well, than maybe some humor. <laughs> the only thing that made a difference was to go through it and then to reassess and then think, okay, I did something that I had decided 20 years ago I never wanted to do. And, uh, and then it kept looming and looming and looming, had to do it. And uh, I, I don't know that there's any advice. Uh, you know, some 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 students that were important in my life and have been important since, when they were in their early 20s, got together with me and said, we'd like to talk with you more because you seem like you've got a lot of life experience, which at that time I was about 40. And I, I, I was about 40 or so. And they said, you've got a lot of life experience. We think there's a, a good deal we could learn from you. And I, I said, uh, you're going to have life experience. You give it 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years, and you're going to have life experience. So you will learn from that. And, and how much somebody older can help with that, uh, they can. But the thing that you really learn from is that you, you go through this next stage. I remember when I was younger, like when I was like 20, when my main concern or my main focus in my life at that time was changing myself. It was figuring out how do I become the adult that I want to be. Um, that's when I was like addicted to um, self-improvement books and just, yeah, focusing on self-improvement. And one of the big things that I think helped me was having a vision board and a journal where I could think through things. Yeah, the, the vision board really helped because it made me decide on what are the main things that I want to, uh, to head towards. What do I want to accomplish? Who do I want to be? It makes you think about it. What do I put on this board? Um, have you ever had a vision board? Oh, yeah. Big important thing. I did that whole lecture on, you know, design your career with a whiteboard. That's a whiteboard, vision board, different names for it, but it's to have it out in front of your face of where, where you want to go, uh, where you are, how you're going to get there, defining these things. And you're talking about not a, a whiteboard for a project you're working on, but for yourself, for your life. Yes. Right? A vision board for your life. Okay. Both. 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 Okay. Yeah. I, I think it really helps. And not just for that initial process of figuring it out, but also as a constant reminder to yourself. I actually, I literally had it on a giant, I think it was a 20 by 30 inch pin board or cork, cork board and I printed out pictures of all these things um, and I was like, okay, this is what I want and it was in front of me all the time for like, I don't know, maybe like five to eight years because these things were in front of me and it was funny how like, like slowly I would, I would like look over them and be like, oh, oh, I got that. And I would just like take, I'll take it off. Yeah. And I wouldn't notice for a lot for the longest time. Like, oh, that thing. Yeah, that's right. 
and it would it would just kind of happen and it was like it was there i was seeing these things it was a constant reminder this is who i want to be this is what i want to head towards so vision boards if you're reinventing yourself figure it out how are you going to reinvent yourself and then figure out a way to constantly remind yourself of that so you don't get lost it's easy to forget you know you do a, a day or a week of brainstorming and you have these these ideas and then life happens and you forget I'd, I'd add something into that. When my son was in a driving school, they cited research that found out that what you look at, what to, to not look at the accident or the thing you're trying to avoid, to look away from it because you tend to, your body tends to go where you're looking. Yeah. And regarding vision boards, in Bob Iger's book, toward the end of the book, he had talked about how Steve Jobs, when he went into a meeting with him, Steve Jobs used whiteboards to solve problems. And he describes what that was like. This book came out in 2019. Back in 2014, I did a lecture on design your career with a whiteboard because I had found that that is one of the most valuable ways to solve creative problems that I knew and that I know. And at the end of the book, Iger talks about how when he had to restructure the Disney Corporation. He had not used a whiteboard in years since he'd been in Steve Jobs' office. So he got out a whiteboard, and I think it was in a matter of a night, using a whiteboard that he restructured the entire Disney Corporation. This means all of it, animation and products and theme parks and and uh, their, their channel, everything. And he found a way to break it up into three parts and he found it in a short amount of time because he had it out in front of him. So it's a big argument for a vision board, a whiteboard, a vertical surface, a thing that you have an, a dialogue with. Yeah, I do think that that's as important as almost any tool that you could use in reinventing yourself. Yeah. 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 What else? <laughs> what about, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you had a list of things that you mentioned. I did. I already mentioned meditation briefly. We didn't really talk about it, but- Talk a little more about it. Some people use it. <laughs> some people don't. For a person who doesn't know what meditation is, how would you describe it? Come on. <laughs> oh, God. I know you're, okay. So, I'm going to totally butcher this. <laughs> I'm going to sound like such an idiot. Cooper asks you when he's six years old, Dad, what's meditation? Yeah. What do you tell him? Oh, it's when you close your eyes and think thoughts. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Deliberately thinking thoughts and, and guiding them. And Yes. Well, guided meditation is only one form of it. Tell us more. No, man, I'm not in a good, I'm not good at meditation. I've done it uh, several times and it's, it's fun to do. But the be for me, the best meditation is actually not the one people usually think of as meditation where you sit down and you close your eyes and you try to clear your mind. For me, it's more of like getting away, going for a walk and clearing my mind that way. To me, that's kind of like meditation, clearing my mind with a walk and kind of escaping reality for an hour um, to where I could focus on something in my mind. And you do that regularly? Every day. And it makes a difference in how your life choices go. It does make a difference. I mean, obviously, you every day you, you think about these things, you have a chance to 
ponder and f- solve problems that are in your mind rather than having them pile up to the point where it, what's the point? It can be a release, a release valve for, for stress and pressure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. I mean, a wa- any physical exercise is a release for stress. A walk is one as well. But, but it's a time to ponder and consider options too where you're not yeah. in a hurry. You can really look at them and say, are you the one? Are you not the one, the decision that I want to go, the direction I can go? Yeah. And when people go for a walk, it's, you know, there were, there were times when I would, I would go for a walk and I would just play a podcast regularly. I would, I would listen to something. So, I would be in consumption mode. Mm-hmm. And those are not as valuable as going for a walk when you're not listening to someone else speak. You're just in your own head. Um, so, now I, I alternate. Some, sometimes if I, there's something I want to think about, I'll just play some music. Um, and other times when I really don't feel like thinking about stuff uh, or I'm tired and I just want to listen to some the podcast and just relax a little bit. And that's, all, that's more of a stress relief thing. Well, here's how this I think relates to reinventing. Reinventing, if it's not something you're thinking about in crisis right now, is something that since it's going to have to happen anyway, it's hard to reinvent rapidly. It's hard to change everything around in a matter of a week or a month. It almost always happens in increments. It almost always happens in in getting prepared for it. And that's why getting a longer view, not just what's happening this week or this month or even this year, but to get the longer view, getting the the context of where you're going from and to and what it's going to take. Do you meditate? I make a short drive to a lake around here. Yeah. And I take an, it takes an hour and a half to walk around that lake. It's one you, you and I walked uh, in that area. Oh, that lake with all the, the poop, the duck poop. Goose, not duck. Goose? Oh, it's, oh okay. They were geese, yeah. Yeah, okay. I walk around that lake about four or five times a week and sometimes with uh, often with no nothing to listen to but just to walk around it and observe trees and leaves and to pull leaves off of trees and crush them and smell them and <laughs> and eat them there is something about concentrating on the walk and the things around me that i find i come away from it feeling better and here's one of the interesting things about the the patience and the increments thing if I never used to smell leaves, I just wasn't around enough plants to do it. But if there's a sensation that I should be able to pull this leaf off the tree, a leaf off the tree, smell it, and it'll change my life. It's not going to do that. But when you do that about 15 or 20 or 30 times in an hour and a half and start to get in touch with these trees, there is something that that evening you feel better. And in doing it five times a week, that that week I start to feel better and start to feel more in touch with the land around me. And so, the thing I'm learning from it is that any expectation that it's going to be like crack cocaine is a false expectation. Well, this took a turn. (laughs) But an expectation that small bits accumulatively over a long period of time 
can make a significant difference is part of why, why we prepare for when we will reinvent next. How am I making little contributions? How am I pulling in little bits of information about how my career will change in a year or five from now? I think that's probably the wisest long-range wisdom is to figure it's going to change. How am I getting ready for it? Yeah. And meditation as a formal practice has reminded me not to listen to a lecture while I'm going on those walks every time. Uh, to have time where all it is is to pay attention to this physical environment and and appreciate it. Concentrate on that. Let my mind wander, but remind myself why I'm here. I'm trying to get in touch with this land. I think we're I'm or at least I'm done. You mentioned journaling though. I did. I already talked about it. Not at length. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Journaling is probably as important as a whiteboard, or at least for some people it will be. Journaling. I think you've done a lot more journaling than me. Mm -hmm. You um I've I've done journaling in increments <laughs> in my life. Uh-huh. I've never had a long period of time where I was journaling. Um, but every time I did it, it was very useful. You know, there, there was a time when I, you know, when I was younger in my twenties where I did it for a while and it helped me figure out the next 10 years of my life. Yeah. Um, it, it set me on a path because I was able to analyze my thoughts, write them down, writing them down kind of makes you think th through them a little bit more, yeah. makes you analyze it. Like, wait, I'm actually writing this? It's not just a thought? Is this a good thought? <laughs> Where else can I go with this? You know, it, it really, it makes it real when you write it down. It does. It objectifies it. Yeah. So, it's a helpful way of also planning out your reinvention. Journaling is a whole other topic of value. Yeah, maybe we could talk about that. We could fill a podcast with it. Yeah. It was instrumental in my life more than once because I went through, I, I've journaled for most of my adult life, but that wasn't necessarily the most valuable thing. The most valuable thing was to read the journal <laughs> years after uh, having started it. Yes. And getting the yep. insight into what kind of person this person is and to be on the other side of it and say, I wish I could go back in time and grab you when you were that age and shake you and tell you, do you not see what you're doing that is such a problem? And you can't see it when we're in it, but we can sometimes see it afterward if we've made a record of it and then assess it. And that's where the great changes happen for me is to read the two and a half years of my life in a matter of two and a half or three days and, and yeah. get a big overview of it. Yeah, that's actually, that's interesting. I, the journal I had in my early 20s, at the, it was like, a, it was a Word doc. <laughs> it was very simple. It wasn't, it wasn't a physical thing. It was a Word doc. Um, but at the top, the very first page, I had uh, kind of like a list of things that I wanted to do in the next 10 years. And as I would journal every day, things would change and I would update the thing at the top. And I would constantly be reevaluating everything through in my journal to make that thing at the top more accurate to what I want. Uh, there's a, a, a line in a Stephen Sondheim song from Sunday in the Park with George of, of uh, look at what you want 
not at where you are, not at what you'll be. Uh, that seems to be the most important thing to have on the vision board, uh, in your, your goals. What, it, it's what is your desire? What do you want? As we grow as people, as we mature, as we change and we, re we reinvent ourselves, I feel like hopefully we're always becoming more of ourselves, more true to who we are. That's the goal, isn't it? Is that you're always improving towards a better you in some way. You know, like you lose both of your legs. Yeah, I mean, in some ways that's, that's worse, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's worse but if you have a positive attitude towards it, you can grow from it and you can actually be a, a bigger person without legs. Mm -hmm. You could be a much better person to the world because of this growth if you reinvent yourself correctly. Um, and hopefully, who you are aligns with who you want to be. There was a book that came out in 1970 by an, uh, a thinker named Alvin Toffler called Future Shock. I didn't read it. Ten years later, he came out with another one called The Third Wave. It was a big macro view of culture and how we go from ag agricultural to industrial to now what we are in this third wave. And Future Shock uh, had to do with the fact that so much anxiety in the modern world comes from the fact that we have change forced on us. Now, I don't remember whether it was content of his book or whether it's all the discussion around Alvin Toffler's book. But I do remember when I was in high school and college, one of the main lessons that got into the culture from his observations is that the greatest skill you can have for the future is not to learn how to program on the computer and not how to learn electronics and not any one specific thing, the greatest skill you could have would be the ability to adapt, the ability to change, because change will happen more and more frequently, which it certainly has since 1970. So if there was any core skill, according to the wisdom of the last that's been 50 years ago, the last half century. It's that if you want to keep your profession and keep moving forward, that taking on the skill of adaptability and saying, what's next? Watch me change and meet it and meet it like a dance partner who, when someone move, changes the rhythm of the dance, changes the moves of the dance, watch me adjust to it. It's the improvisationalist's maxim of yes and. Do you know about that? Yeah, it's improv 101 right there, right? Yeah. There's one thing for sure. We're all going to be dealing with this subject in the next months and years. This is relevant. And maybe it started a dialogue. Well, speaking of change, did you know that I could change the color of the draftsman sign? Yeah, I did. You did? Kind of. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. How magical. Look at that. I'll no, just keep it on that. It's not doing it no? for me. No. You don't, you don't like the strobe, the flash? I don't like that one. Well, I you want, don't have the remote, Marshall. I'm the one with the remote. I want the old draftsman back. Red it is. Well, okay. You, you made this practical. Oh, wait. 
the comment of the episode. What is the comment of the day? Okay, the comment of, of the day is, how are you currently reinventing yourself? Or did you, cur- did you recently reinvent yourself and in what way? Okay, Stan, what are we going to do next? Oh, I don't know. Let's read Art and Fear. We said we were going to do that and we haven't done it. Sounds good. And I'll read it the day before we record. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Art and Fear, no cliff notes. You read their actual book. This is your assignment. All right, Marshall. All right. Thank you, Stan. It's nice talking to you. You too. The suffering of my life of three months of moving. Did you have to pick up the boxes yourself? No, we we uh, we hired movers, but I oh I did uh, no I did I did a lot of the boxes. Oh, oh, I love that. I don't want to pitch that it was physically difficult. It was emotionally difficult. It was for you? emotionally difficult. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for your compassion. <laughs> I have none. I know. <laughs> it looks like you're living in a really nice neighborhood, Marshall. My car broke down at that time too. My car yeah. died. My car that I'd had for for uh, a, a decade. Oh no! Did you end up getting a new car? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Is it nice? It's what not kind of a car Tesla. did you get? Ah, shut the hell up! I won. I won. I'm not complaining. The, I'm the not complaining about my car. The, the competing cushy middle class guys got in a got in a contest. <laughs> I won. <laughs> I've never felt so good at the end of a podcast as I do right now, and I was feeling so bad three minutes ago. Oh, this is wonderful. Ah, <laughs> uh, great. All right. Okay. See y'all. Nice talking to you, Marshall. You too, Stan.